G'day and welcome back to the Talking Leadership TV podcast series. Thank you for joining us again. Today's podcast is going to be focusing on developing leaders and entrepreneurs and my guest today is Carl Brockman. He's a people and performance specialist with a decade of experience leading and developing high performance people and teams. He helps business owners and leadership teams to develop high-performing cultures and roadmaps to sustainable growth and success. In his other arm, he works with men one-on-one to find purpose, increase motivation, and live fulfilling and meaningful lives. Carl's purpose is to create great opportunities for even greater people, and he's passionate about striking at the root cause of symptoms and uses a mix of consulting, practical experience, philosophy, and psychology to identify, plan, and execute tailored solutions to deliver outcomes for his client base. This is a great discussion and the first in this new series around developing leaders and entrepreneurs. I know you'll enjoy the discussion, but as always, enough from me and I'll hand over to Carl. Carl, thank you for joining me today, mate. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Eric. Great to be here. Mate, we've been talking about setting this up for quite a little while now and I'm looking forward to having the chat. The topic that I want to talk to you about today is developing leaders and entrepreneur. So again, thank you for your time, my friend. Um, let's get started where I need to get started here. And and this is the basic intro to this is, is leader slash entrepreneurial development an important process? Do, do you believe that it is? And if it is, why? Conversely, if it's not, why not? Yeah, well, I guess leadership exists in a variety of contexts. And when you i don't think i can answer the same way for whether or not leadership development is important and whether or not entrepreneurial uh development is important i think they're both important but for very different reasons uh from from an entrepreneurial standpoint a small to medium business keeps this economy alive it it means that new ideas are able to flourish and manifest and make their way into the world and every big influential company product or service started with the idea of one man or a small group of people and for for society to not see the importance of entrepreneurship i think it's a failure i think it lends to a a macro control or a macro path that handicaps creativity handicaps innovation and handicaps freedom which is something I, i'm i'm really passionate about i think entrepreneurs are, are very important for the economy and for society and for for our civilization from a leadership development point of view it, it's it's funny it's not an easy thing you know it's it's not the case of a leader going to a three-day workshop and now they can lead a team right leadership development is a is a long journey as is entrepreneurial development but all journeys need to be led by oneself and i think that's that's the very first thing you can't force someone to be a leader you can't try and shove a square peg into a circle hole you know it it needs to come from oneself and i believe some people are equipped with the right the right mind and and tendencies to to lead whether they like it or not sometimes and the same goes with to become an entrepreneur 
with that, because both are so important, I absolutely believe that development is important. Just how does that function? One one thing in that response, well, more than one thing for me in that is the idea of process here. So leadership, entrepreneurial development, there's an assumed process there. And that time element is something you brought up as well because you said, well, you go to a three-day program, training, whatever you want to call the thing, and suddenly you're going to be able to lead a team. There's something to be said for that lived experience in the role as a leader, senior manager, junior leader, whatever the position might be. So are you of the ilk that subscribes to you've got to spend some time in the role before you, you can wear that hat or is it horses <laughs> for courses? Where, where, where do you stand on that, Matt? Yeah. Well, I, firstly, I'll say that I think we, I think every individual is or has the opportunity to be a leader. Yeah, uh, I I did four years at uni to become a teacher, and I did not feel competent to be a teacher after four years of tertiary education. the The thing that got me closer to that was the prac. Without the prac, that four years, I think, was a complete waste of time. And like, you read a book, you read a book, you're armed with a ton of knowledge, but without the application of the knowledge, it can't become wisdom. It just becomes ideas. And uh, we had a brief chat before we started recording, Eric, and we spoke about uh, the the application of theory creates experience, which leads to wisdom. Without that application, it's just your perception of what you've read or what you've been taught in a training room or what you've listened to on a podcast. Without the application, you can't further your depth of understanding and therefore allow it to influence your behavior knowledge in isolation doesn't influence behavior it is the the associated action of knowledge that influences behavior and leads to wisdom yeah in- interesting perspectives i um in wanting to have a chat to you about this and um expand my thinking around leader development the there's this thing about uh and uh, it's probably a good word to use i haven't heard it used a lot but this idea of gaining wisdom that that I think comes with experience and time served in the trenches, whatever your your vocation is, or whether you're working full time. And you mentioned teaching. Why that sort of rang some bells for me is my eldest son is studying to be a music teacher, and he's come to some of these realizations very early on that he's loving the learning of what he's doing. He's particularly has a passion for music but he wants to be able to apply these things and he's gotten an incredible amount of value from the practice that he's been able to do and the time spent in the schools. And I I think it's great for other reasons that he needs to come to some kind of realization about, because I'm not going to spoil the trip, his trip for him because I've, I've, I've been there and sort of done that, not as a teacher, but once you're in that world of work, the idyllic, Hey, teaching can is is about fun and about just engaging with the kids. It's a lot more than that, and that's something that he's going to have to go through without dad having to be there. But it 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 made me have a think about that, um, and it's a good example to use. Um, look, the the next area I want to talk to you about, if I can, and this one came from a review in two thousand nineteen. So we're talking pre COVID here, and. I'm going to ask you to bring that lens to the areas that I'm going to talk about here and I'll go 
one at a time, so I'm not going to throw them at you straight away. But the, the Harvard Business Review article was written by Moldovanu and Narayandas. These two authors looked at what are some of the gaps in what they called a disjointed state of leadership. So I'm, I'm asking you to take that lens if you can. And the first gap that they talked about was a gap in motivations, and they described this as organizations investing in executive development for their long-term good, but individuals participating in order to enhance their skills and advance their career. So I think they're talking about here, what value do you bring to um, investing in organizational training? So the organization has a, a, has a vested interest from one perspective and the individual from another, but are those two things sort of aligning? So I'd like to get your views on, do you think there's a gap in motivations from your experience in your travels, mate? As, as an organization grows, more people come into the folds, relationships become more complex or more, more, uh, have more breadth. And what led an organization to get to one stage of success isn't what's going to let them move to another. And I believe meaning is lost along the way. Or at least it's lost down the hierarchy. If the top group, and and I'll, I'll preface this with, I haven't led large organizations, but I've worked in them for a long time, up and down the ladder. And what always, always rubbed me the wrong way, and hence why I'm on my own venture now, is that what was said at the top wasn't necessarily uh wasn't necessarily actioned throughout the organization or even at the top and the messaging in one place it's like chinese whispers it 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 seems to again lose its meaning and effective leaders articulate and sell the why of things if if that is missed then it is only what and how of course misalignment will exist again it's just my perception as a team member now and my perception can look a, a lot of different ways based on a massive series of complex uh experiences that i've had within a large organization for my purpose to align as an individual to a company's purpose in the macro and the micro is so important when it comes to my ability to perform. If I don't understand why as an individual, I'm only led by extrinsic motivators. I'm only led by economic pressure, the, the wanting to earn money or emotional pressure, not letting my, my boss or my family down or at, at the absolute worst inertia, which is I'm just coming to work because I came the day before. And the, I'm referencing a book called Prime to Perform by Dr. Neil Doshi and Lindsay and Dr. Lindsay McGregor. They uh, studied a, a wide array of large corporates and they tried to boil down what motivated people to work. And they found that those three extrinsic motivators decreased performance, emotional pressure by 1.66%, economic pressure by 3%, and inertia by 5%. They found that three intrinsic motivators positively impacted performance potential positively 1.66 percent so the i see potential if i do well here it's going to allow me to do x in the future purpose 
So I, I know and I love why I'm doing the work times three and finally play. I enjoy the work I do times five. And I believe it's really easy to lose, especially the top two as organizations become larger and more complex, especially with ineffective leaders along the way. You know, for me, if you aren't a leader, you're a manager. And a manager to manage comes from insecurity and inability to lead oneself, in my opinion. And when we manage, we focus on results and we are surviving. Whereas the leader sells a vision of the future is focusing on actions and behaviors and deeper than that, the mindset of their individuals and themselves. And therefore, because of their far high reaching ideal destination, they come from a lens of thriving and they give their people the opportunity to succeed rather than trying to dictate how they should succeed based on a report that rocked up in my email on Monday morning. So probably a long convoluted way for me to uh, answer your question, Eric. But but I genuinely believe it is the breakdown of the hierarchy down the organization as a business becomes large, because especially in the middle, it's why take any risks? Why take any ownership? It's so easy to blame the people below you to the people below you, above you, and blame the people above you to the people below you. So if you aren't empowered and and from the top held to account in terms of how you are leading your team to thrive, then you'll fall. You'll you'll be a victim of your environment and you will manage and you will do what's required to not get a slap on the ass or not get a stern <laughs> chat with HR. And you will read the reports and you will say to your leader below you or your team, hey, we did this much last month. What are we going to do to get this much next month? This isn't good enough. I see red boxes. And now you are man- now you are perpetuating an environment of compliance. Now we're focused on making those boxes green, and we are not working based on why that organisation exists and where that organisation wants to go. It's a very interesting response. Now, while I've still got you in that 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 headspace, do you think uh, that motivation gap has changed or has been impacted post? COVID. So the research I quoted before was pre-COVID. Now we're talking post-COVID. Do you see that having changed and also the the motivations for organisations to invest in developing their their people, particularly their um, leaders? Yeah, I, I believe COVID didn't change it. It just made it more important. Yeah, right. Okay. Yep. What, when you have everyone together and you see everyone, again, there's, there's less place to hide, if, if that's one phrase that I can use. You can uh, use any phrase you like, mate. <laughs> Thank you. There's <laughs> less place to hide. And it is easier to manage. You know, Managing is an effective way to get results, an effective way, because you're able to, like I said, dictate behavior. Uh, really focus on the how and then make sure that the how is getting done that way. But as we work remotely, we we don't have that visibility and therefore aren't able to use the same accountability as we could when we're all together. So we have to trust our individuals and to trust them is not is not a a simple task, especially if you if you're not a competent leader. 
if you're or, a manager, or secure or secure, mate, and and that that made me laugh out loud. Yeah, uh, I was going to say a manager insecure, <laughs> in, insecure in themselves will be hounding their people remotely. And if I'm getting four messages a day from my leader about what I'm doing, man, I am checking it every second I can. What? Screw you! I was going to swear. Yeah, no, like, that that's okay. It's it's. Uh... <laughs> you should be you should be asking me how you can help me succeed, not asking why I'm not succeeding. Uh, anyway, but yeah, I'll no, it, it it makes perfect sense, mate. the The idea that COVID undercut the strings attached to a command and control type of mentality, and I think you're talking about managers in that perspective, is was quite um was quite prominent. I'm getting the feeling that you've got some uh, real concerns with that middle layer in organisations, and it's it's not something that I haven't heard before that um, management is really around uh, results and uh, um, um, getting to KPIs and deliverables and process at that um, at the ground level, whereas leadership is not quite that. It's more about what's the visioning involved. So you've made that, that disconnect very clear. Yeah. Sorry, I, I would love to quickly say, I, I sure. don't think it's the, it's the middle management's fault though. No, no, and I'm not. I'm yeah. not taking that way either. It's but, just the nature of business. There are a lot, yeah. of, a lot yeah. of problems in that space. Absolutely, and uh, I, KPIs are important. You know, we need to know how we how we measure success. But oh, I've been in organisations that just measure everything, which isn't bad. But what game are we playing? Are we playing the game of making these boxes green every week, or are we playing the game of creating a sustainable, thriving organisation that services or provides an amazing product to their customers or clients you know if we're playing the box ticking game then we'll get really good at making like, ticking boxes and it and it will and it won't be aligned to why that organization existed in the first place and what they want to be known for and now an organization is focusing on reputation which which they need to be aware of and need to focus on to some extent rather than the character of their organization yeah you you bring up i thank you for doing this you bring up the why of why organizations exist, why the leader's doing what what he or she is doing. But for my money, and this is something I've been thinking about a little bit, is you're not always going to get, perfect's not the word here, but alignment between your team's why, the leader's why, and then the organization's why. And where I'm going with this is we go to work for very different reasons. So as much as you want to help motivate a team i think that's a good perspective to take and yes we can always do better in that frame you've probably met the following people i know i have that work is a very functional thing you clock in you do the best you can you clock out and then you're done there's no more um i'm not looking to aspire to anything in the place other than just make some coin and get out and then you've got others that are there to make a difference to their teams to progress your organization so that there's an interesting discussion to be had there about who's why and what are we trying to achieve longer term so if the why's don't align and and if i'm being 100 percent honest here i don't think anyone's got that 100 percent down because if you're if you're dealing with human beings you're never going to get full alignment but that's if that's your goal then you're never going to be successful to try yeah, and then and- i'd ask like is full alignment the goal Sure, for some, just, for some, it might be. just understanding the why? You know, you mentioned that role player. They are important. They're the experts. 
they they have the technical ability that myself as a leader does not have. I need them to be happy and I need them to feel as though they're able to function and perform their role well and switch off after work. And and their why, like you said, comes from more, perhaps more of a security need and a I just want to do what I'm good at need, which great, I need you. And I don't want to handicap you from doing that well. I don't want to force you to try and work on how you lead a team or run a focus session because that's not what you're inclined to do. You're wise to do a great job and I want you to do a great job. And and if it's not to do a great job in the function of this business, then then why are you in my team? <laughs> so so yeah, I don't know. I don't like yeah. I, I believe uh, full alignment is quite idealistic, but ideals are ideals for a reason. They're not achievable, but they give us somewhere to orient. And I believe there is alignment to why should we seek it and should we understand it, especially as leaders. Yeah, and look, I'm I'm uh, very sanguine about um, the need to have a an ideal to strive for, but you're never going to achieve. Much like assuming that um, once you've got that alignment, things will always kick on well, because the role of the leader in what you're talking about there is to make sure that what what are the systems or maybe system, no systems not the right word. What are the things that you're doing to the culture of the place? to allow for the wise to, to move it in a, in a little band so they can shift as people change. And um, over time, people's, those intrinsic motivators for why you do a particular job may morph as you age, Absolutely. may morph as your family circumstances differ, uh, tragic circumstances, um, all of those things that come together as part of people's lives. So look, 100% there, what, what, where I want to take you now, if I can, mate, is to talk about the second gap. And I'd like to read something to you before you respond. So the authors found that the second gap was between the skills that executive development programs build and those that firms require, particularly the interpersonal skills essential to thriving in today's, and this was in 2019, flat, networked, increasingly collaborative organisation. So trying to build those skill sets in your people. I want to ask you this, and I was going to take that point somewhere else, but I want to ask you this. Do you think we do enough to actually talk to the people we're trying to find out? How do you want your skills developed that will mesh with what we need developed so that when you're, when you're designing something, it actually fits what I need as the business and you need as an individual? In literally in that uh, in that insight, you use the word collaborative as organizations become increasingly collaborative. That's what leadership needs to be. That's what development needs to be. We don't all fit in the same box. We're not we, we are we are so much the same, but we are so different every single individual. And if development isn't a collaboration, then what is it? You know like what? We we go to school for twelve years, and what do what do we get for twelve years of schooling? We we get taught how to be in a box. We do not get the opportunity to be supported in walking our own path, and I think that is such a such a detriment 
in society. I, I truly do. I think it means that a lot of us don't get the opportunity to see ourselves as entrepreneurs or see ourselves as creative or see ourselves as someone who can do something that anyone can do. Any single person can create the life that they want to live for themselves, but it's our unconscious or some sometimes conscious fears that stop us from walking the path. It, it is those extrinsic motivators that keep us in that box. It's, no, well, what am I going to do about money? Well, what am I going to do about X, Y, and Z? Now, I feel comfortable here. What if I fail? In, in reality, failure is the only constant on the path to success. It's, it's the only uh, thing that happens. And uh, so the only thing that happens every single time on the path to success is failure and a lot of it, a lot of failure. So collaboration is is so so important not only in an organization with partners or with their clients etc but in leadership in teams uh there's that great quote i think john f kennedy is is famous for sharing this uh, a rising tide lifts all ships you know that's that role player that team member that wants to stay in their lane that might be motivated by economic pressure but for purpose them just being really good at their job is probably their motivator uh, but also wants to just check out at five, which is sick. Good. I want to check out at three. So awesome. You can check out at five. Uh, but they they are still in that network. They are still in that team. They will still have an opinion or some great insight into how that team can function better. And if we collaborate with our team on how we're winning and how we can do more of that, wherever, where are our opportunity areas? Where, where's friction? in this network what's what's stopping us from doing our job the best and how that how can we start uh helping each other move towards a space where less of that friction occurs well now we're now we're seeing continuous improvement you know change is the only constant nothing ever stays the same you know a river flows and therefore stays somewhat clean whereas a pond can be clean but it festers because it doesn't move nothing stays the same so if we collaborate, we can continue to move closer to that ideal. As you said, Eric, we'll never get there perfectly, but we'll never get there perfectly because as we get closer to it, our ideal becomes larger or becomes more idealistic because we are closer to that, that North Star. Building the skill sets and the, the, the long-term thinking you want from not just your teams, but your leaders as, uh, as, was found in that research that it's how do you set up the environment to do that? And the practicality here for me is that organizations don't have a limitless supply of money to help develop people. But um, I've also had the argument thrown at me, and I, I think it's a good one, that you don't need often thousands or tens of thousands of dollars to train someone because you can design experience-based um almost like behavioural training in the workplace that if you design it the right way in your business, you can be training people continuously. You talk about continuous improvement without the need for a massive amount of investment. But um, I'll preface some of that, and if I'm being honest here, that the drivers for why some organisations, be they large or small, want to invest in training can vary depending on that why again. So if, if your why is about a public good, the public service, 
you're developing your people because you're providing a service a lot more broadly on a community basis that is not necessarily motivated by a, a, the profit motive. And I'm not, I, for a second, I don't have a problem with the profit motive. We live in a capitalist society. P people work to make money oh, or good. make more of it. Yeah, I'm not not saying it's um it's a bad thing. It's the idea that uh, depending on the context in which you're working can dictate the skill sets that you need uh, from your leaders. Not that I'm not that I'm saying that there's a perfect set of those, but I think situationally things matter. And you've you've gone there and elaborated on that quite um, nicely. So um, let me go to the third area that the researchers talked about in terms of a gap, and that was the skills transfer gap. And I want to read you verbatim what they put there just to get your perspective on this. That simply put. Few executives seem to take what they learn in the classroom and apply it to their jobs, and the farther removed the focus of learning is from the locus of application, the larger the gap becomes. What's your view on that from your experiences, Carl? Yeah, it, it links exactly to what we spoke about before. I used uh, my uni experience as the example. You know, knowledge doesn't influence behaviour in isolation. It, it's it's the application of of that knowledge uh, that creates experience and therefore later wisdom. Uh, it, it, the application of knowledge allows failure, as we spoke about. And people, well, we can see failure as the end of the world, but in reality, failure is just learning. I love to say we either win or we learn, you know? <laughs> and uh, I, if, in my experience, the best development interventions whether they're internal or external and something that i try so but that i care so much about and ensure is in my delivery is the is the application of knowledge in the development or in the training session and role play is one example that everyone uh turns their nose up as at uh when it comes to to application of knowledge but it's not the only way to apply knowledge in a development setting uh, that the next best thing would be to ensure that an intervention ends with the planning of the application in the business and the support network to exist to mitigate the consequences of failure as best as possible. And, and that's, again, if we bring that application into the learning environment, there aren't consequences on the business it's the perfect place to fail because it's not going to flow on to other things uh, i would love to quickly say early uh sorry say quickly that links this point and the previous point together around uh the opportunity for skill development to exist in the workplace or or to close the gap between green unconscious and conscious incompetence to conscious competence and unconscious competence and again, every context will allow for a different answer, but I know some people that will have a pretty good idea of how to close that gap in an organization. And those people are the people in the organization, funnily enough. You go pitch that question to your team and say, hey, how can we get our guys performing in a more efficient way sooner? You are going to have an amazing conversation with your team and they're going to be bought into the application of that. You know, because you'll need your team to help 
that uh, that gap be closed. So you allude to that issue of um, almost parenting your teams. Hey, I know exactly what you need in terms of training or development. Just leave it up to me, or, or uh, you know, mum and dad know best. But I think yeah, and I haven't heard it put that way. That if you actually go and have a conversation with your people, you want to. Um, see an improvement in their skills, in their skill sets that maybe asking them about what they think is, yeah, it's crazy. Oh, no, I don't want to put out some crazy ideas there, but yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. And, and before I get off this, this particular bit of research, I, I found it extremely interesting and I'll, I'll put the link in the podcast description. Now it is a 2019 article, but I still think it's relevant today to be having a chat about these things is, Post-pandemic, do you think organisations have had to relook at that skills transfer gap because of the changing nature of our workforces? And I, I can't escape this is a reality, and, and you've mentioned it in this discussion, Carl, that we're looking at a more remote workforce. So the um, the implications of that for skills development, I think, are still being assessed and being discussed um you know anyone can do training now online uh TAFEs for example your certificates fours and uh, you know dozens of areas are now being offered for free online learning your own time there's some flexibility now to how we can learn and I think that came not just from COVID but changing economic circumstances and that's a discussion we'll hopefully avoid here here but it's okay. it's it's one of those context things that matters so if i can get back to asking you this um, do you think the pandemic impacted how we develop our people in in, in broad terms yeah i definitely believe it has forced us to think about how we develop our people uh of course it's going to be different to develop skills remotely versus in person i don't believe it's impossible and you you reference sort of the tafe degrees and other online learnings again even if it was face to face if the knowledge doesn't have an opportunity to be applied then is it is it really learning is it really skill development i wouldn't call it that i would just call it research and i know you're a researcher so i hope that, that didn't rub you the wrong way but uh how we can achieve the same result with a completely different function and whether that's possible or not again it will depend on context but being remote we lose a lot of the opportunities that we get when we're together and one of those opportunities is to observe we learn so much by watching or or observing people perform a function and that can be done to some extent remotely uh, but to be in an environment where you are seeing others perform certain skills or the role or the tasks, by that not being as abundant, we are losing a lot of opportunity to to close that gap and develop skill. So in a long roundabout way, of course, of course, it forced us to to think differently about how we can develop skills on board uh, create internal development of people however i don't necessarily think it's impossible i don't think it's handicapped us too much and i believe it is 
something that's easy to hide behind as an excuse, if that makes sense, if we're not willing to change or to think differently. I think post-COVID, and this is going to be written about quite extensively, is just how much of an impact did it really have on some of these things that people follow in the world of work, of me being leadership tragic i want to know things about this i want to i want to understand people's perspectives because i i bring my own baggage and thinking to the discussion but always um prepared to be moved on some thinking it's um it's it's no way to live if you think you've got the answer to everything because that uh, that's good that's going to lead you down some paths that you don't want to go down um now this next area carl this is I've been thinking about why I put this in the mix of questions, and and for those listening, um, this is a new, this is some new territory for me. So, um, bear with me as I'm I'm sharing my my thinking out loud here. The the inner voice is now the outer voice. We want to, in broad terms, feel free to disagree. We want to develop leaders and entrepreneurs so that they're more effective in what they do. And we want, and by effective, I mean we want outcomes that are going to be helpful to society, helpful to business, helpful to somebody. What does post leader entrepreneur development? What's an effective leader or an effective entrepreneur look like to you? So the first thing is define effective, right? And it, we we need to. Oh, wow. You're, you're going to be one of these people to ask me to define effective. Um, no, no, I'm not no, asking I, I get it. I was just I using it to preface, preface more conversation. No, I, we I, I get it. walk through the coals, we get better at walking through the coals, right? <laughs> and there becomes a point where walking through the coals isn't challenging anymore. So now we've got to start jumping through fiery hoops and hopefully that opportunity to do that comes up. Uh, I believe an effective leader or entrepreneur is someone who is continuously improving, who is aiming towards a higher ideal, who is courageous in chaos, who doesn't let fear stop them from continuing to function in the same way in which they set out to, doesn't let fear stop them from encouraging and empowering people in their arsenal to do great work doesn't let their ego stop them from allowing their team members to flourish and giving credit where credit's due i believe an effective leader is one that i think i mentioned this earlier sells a vision of the future puts people in the right roles in which they can excel focuses on behavior and action over the result the result will come with right action and behavior. I think an effective entrepreneur is one that that creates a product or service that serves the world. You know, and the market will tell an entrepreneur that there's no such thing as successful as, as an unsuccessful entrepreneur making money. And there there could be, you know, like you, there there are a lot of these young men who are creating these Shopify websites and selling uh, Chinese phone cases that they bought on uh, Alibaba in bulk, but that still serves an amazing function. I don't want to buy a hundred phone cases, even though they're three dollars each. I only want to buy one, so I will pay forty dollars to buy one. So they're still providing an important function. So for me, a, a, an effective entrepreneur is one that fills a gap in the market, and the market will tell them that by giving them money. 
And an effective leader is one that sells a vision of the future and allows their people to 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 work towards that vision of the future the best way they see fit because that's why you have them in the team i don't have sales people in my team to for me to tell them exactly how to sell because i want that like i'm not I, I need to be a salesperson i run a business but i've hired them because they're better than me at it yeah have some feelings and thoughts and ways that it could be better but again that'll come from a collaborative nature with them uh the the ineffective entrepreneur doesn't succeed at all and they'll forever be trying to fight a business but they they will succeed if they don't give up you know if they continue to learn from their fa failures they'll become effective and the unaffected leader is a manager is someone that from insecurity focuses on results focuses on the past is in a state of survival uh, so i hope that gives you enough of an answer yeah no it, it's great and um i had to laugh out loud when you talked about what does effective mean I've, <laughs> I've been i've actually been thinking about that for a little bit and it keeps it broad enough to generate the kind of response that you just gave me then that effectiveness is potentially in the eye of the beholder but i think you can put some parameters around what effective leadership looks like because i know what ineffective leadership looks like people aren't following you they're not motivated. They really don't want to be there. You really don't want to be like there, there's lots of markers for what what bad looks like, and and you've mentioned what good might look like. So uh, yeah, it's it's it it's a continual point of discussion for me because I know from the research literature and from the discussions that I've had that we are spending massive amounts of money to develop our people our teams, our leaders, and to what end? And so is it, are we um, efficiently, effectively using our uh, collective um, knowledge base and, and money to create the, the, the well, maybe not the right leader, but the right people to do the right jobs at the right time? And that, that that's an open-ended question. And what, you know what a small business will spend in training may pale in insignificance to a, I don't know, a Microsoft or an Apple. But I think the motivation to stay in business or stay providing a public good is uh, a key motivator there. And, and you talked about a lot in the previous responses that we could dive deeper into, and we will in other in other discussions that we'll have made. But to end this particular discussion. What advice would you give to help develop leaders versus entrepreneurs? I might comment on both individually and see if I can tie it in a little bow, which I've failed to do. I'm still in holiday mode. I'm sorry, Eric. Uh, but uh, what advice can I give to help develop leaders? Let them fail. If, if you're going to put someone in a leadership position, expect them to lead. Don't expect them to be another glorified team member that you're going to tell what to do. Give them the opportunity to lead and hold them accountable in their leadership position. If you've got a, a leader in your team and you're still managing or leading the people below them, then what is that person doing? Give a leader the opportunity to lead. When failure occurs, and it will, 
discuss what happened, why it happened, and how we can move forward. Collaborate, coach, whatever frame you want to take, but let them do their job. Just like that role player that just wants to do a great job from nine to five, let them do their job and help them do it better. Uh, from an entrepreneur standpoint, what advice can I give to develop entrepreneurs? As 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 all works of life, Eric, it, it is our life to walk. It is our path to walk. Uh, an entrepreneur needs to feel that they have something to contribute and that there is something there that doesn't currently exist or that they can do better. Uh, and the first bit of advice that I would ask an entrepreneur is, is why is your motivation just to make a ton of money? Is it to, to say, fuck you to dad because he never believed in you? You know that they can they can serve you quite well, but will they be sustainable? Or is your wife something along the lines of, "I have this desire to do this better, or to create this, or to uh, fill this gap, or to alleviate the consequences of this problem I see commonly?" You know, like. I, if you spoke to me five years ago, Eric, I guess I'm technically an entrepreneur now. I, w I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought of myself as that or becoming that, but I started my own business with the burning desire to fix that problem. We spoke about the middle management problem. And for me, it starts at the top. It starts at the top. And I see a lot at the top them not giving their leaders the opportunity to lead and then dictating how things should be done. And in those organizations, you just get yes men. You just get people that say, yes, sir, no worries, sir, extra fries with that, sir. And creativity is lost. Innovation is lost. High performance is lost. The why is lost. So that that's a couple of comments for both parties. Uh, why it, it for me it always comes down to why and i might be a little bit of an idealist in that sense but why do you want to develop a leader why this person do they like why for them like do they want to be a leader uh do they have ambition do they want to serve do they want to contribute at a higher level do they want to take on more responsibility for an entrepreneur do you have an unwavering belief that you can create something great? Do you have the faith that you can get through the chaos of starting something from scratch? Uh, is, yeah, what's your why? I, and I'm, I'm just a Simon Sinek puppet in this podcast. I'm sorry for that, but a lot of it comes down to that, man. It comes down to what are we in it for? this idea of the why or what is your why not just in leadership but in why you get up every day to do the things that you do it's a very simple question and before we go i'd like to thank you for bringing up the asking the person that you want to lead um why do you want to lead or do you want to lead it's not a question that's often asked and i think we'd we'd uh weed out 
a lot more people that don't want the stress of being a leader to opt not to be to potentially find those that um, given the opportunity could be great at leading but you've got to give them a chance to fail and you brought that up on multiple occasions mate Sorry, or the alternative, Eric, where they really want to lead, but their motivation isn't right. So, uh, for example, I started my career uh, in sale, in retail sales stores and then in the management of those stores. And I saw so often the best salesperson that was just hungry for more money, for reputation, for status, uh, finally get an opportunity to lead. But they just weren't the right person their why wasn't right and also the best salesperson isn't the best leader of a sales team you know so that's that's the other side to that it's it's both ways absolutely you ask that salesperson why and if they if they have a great answer to that question they might have a great chance to lead but uh, i saw so commonly it was maybe ego thank you for your time today sir Thank you so much for the opportunity, Eric. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope I didn't embarrass myself too much. And I look no, forward mate, to the was, next time we chat. This was great. So for those listening, this has been the Talking Leadership TV podcast series. My name is Eric Perez. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day, rest of your week. And we'll catch everyone on the next episode of the podcast.